Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Last year, we launched our course, The Data-Driven Classroom, and had hundreds of educators and clinicians take this course with consistently amazing feedback. I heard from so many teachers how this course really changed the way they approach data, how they were able to set up simple data systems, train their paras, and be collecting data to make data-based decisions within days of finishing the course. That feedback made me so happy. Now that course has been closed and unavailable since last year, but guess what? We are reopening the course, the data-based classroom, and I want you to be one of the first ones in. If data is something you have been struggling with for years, let's work on this together. Let me give you all of the tools to make this something that can consistently happen in your classroom. And guess what? Since you are a podcast listener, and I absolutely love my podcast listeners, I have an awesome code for you. When you use the code DATA100, you're going to get $100 off of the course bundle. Now, this code is only going to be usable until March 20th. So you only have one week to use this code, but Data 100 will get you $100 off of that course bundle. So that means for less than $200, you are getting the amazing data toolkit with literally hundreds of data sheets, all editable. And don't worry, I teach you how to edit it. And that entire data-driven course that touches on academic data, behavior data, staff training, and so much more. There's a link in the show notes with all of the information. Let's make this year the year that data really works. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Hey guys, today I'm chatting with Dr. Sarah Feldman about leadership. This is a good conversation. I cannot wait for you guys to hear it. So I actually sat next to Sarah at the ABAI Autism Conference in San Francisco last winter, and we started chatting and realized we had a lot of the same views on ABA. She has background from the school and clinical setting, and I really enjoyed talking with her and was really excited to have her on the podcast. She is the co-owner of the Helm ABA Services in the Dallas area, and she is really passionate about developing her BCBAs and teachers she works with to become great leaders. And you know, you guys know, this was right up my alley because I love talking about staff training, and this is right in line with staff training. So in this episode, Sarah shares with us really how to define what being a great leader is and what things you can do to work towards becoming a great leader. We also chat about how this impacts student learning. Like, why is this important? Why do we have to become a good leader? You do. Spoiler alert. We also chat about common challenges, like what are obstacles that 
teachers and BCBAs and parents are facing when it comes to having these leadership skills and how can we work on coming overcoming these obstacles. So I'm not going to keep talking because I want you to hear this episode. I could have talked to her forever. I can't wait for you to hear all of the great insights she shares. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me. I am excited to chat about leadership and I love, you know, talking to other BCBAs, but I especially love talking to BCBAs that have kind of a very open-minded and easy to kind of access approach like you do. Cause I think we, I think we speak the same kind of ABA. Oh yeah. We definitely <laughs> speak the same kind of ABA. And it's funny because when I first started teaching in my classroom, um, you were like the number one resource I would go to because <laughs> it was the least pretentious language I could find <laughs> to implement ABA in like a very practical way. And so I feel like um, it's kind of come full circle for me. So it's awesome. I'm so excited to talk with you about it. I, I, you know, I always love hearing kind of what brought people to the ABA world. And, you know, so if you don't mind sharing what brought you to ABA and, and what are you doing now? Yes. Yeah, so um, back in, um, let's see, back in high school, I used to volunteer for a special um, Olympics team. And um, back then we could bring lots of kiddos to different events. And so I did bowling and gymnastics and I grew up doing gymnastics, so I was super passionate about that. And there was a little girl that would come to like a day camp that I uh, uh, kind of helped support. And um, she had autism, but I didn't know that that's what she had at the time. And she wasn't really able to participate in a lot of different sports and things like that. But I just felt so connected to her and I really wanted to be able to help her succeed. And I wanted to help decrease problem behavior so she could participate like some of the other kiddos that we had. And so um, that little girl was kind of my first introduction to autism and really kind of made me interested because there were so many kids that or could participate and so many other volunteers that were super eager to support kids with um, better behavior. But <laughs> those kiddos that were really hard to tap into, I was like, this is the kid I want to help. Um, and I felt like I could see in her mom's face how exhausted she was. And so at that point, I thought, this is something I really want to do. My mom is a special ed teacher. My dad is a social worker at the time. And so um, we all kind of come from helping fields. Um, but that was my first introduction to autism and problem behavior. And um, I got super motivated to figure out like evidence-based strategies. So not just um, participation, but like how do we really affect outcomes at that point? I love asking this question because honestly, it's always, there's always one kid that like hooks yeah. someone. It's so cool. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. And you are a busy woman now. What do you, what do you do? Where, where is your ABA taking you? So I, um, when I first graduated from um, undergrad, I actually got an undergrad in theater. And um, I always say, you know, just like go to school for something that makes you super passionate and can help you show up for those four, first four years. Um, but after I did an internship in New York for theater, I felt super drawn to coming back to special education. Um, I felt like what I was doing there was very self-centered um, and not that, you know, being an actor or an artist is self-centered, but for me, I wanted to do more for other people. So I came back and um, I started my master's program down at Texas State um, to uh, learn more about ABA and um, autism. And that was like my first exposure to that there's like this thing called a board certified behavior analyst. And um, the Enneagram three in me, the achiever, I'm very much like, okay, well, how do I become the best um, <laughs> supporter for kids with autism? And so 
um, what's the most research? And that's where I learned about just becoming a BCBA. So I got my BCBA there back in 2012. And um, immediately I started working in a clinic. And um, I stayed there for about a year. And I felt like um, I was able to work directly with kids, but there wasn't really a great connection to parents. And so I um, really wanted to kind of figure out how to bridge that gap. And so I decided to go start teaching. Um, and I worked in a really low income school in Dallas ISD um, for a while and kind of moved through different support roles. So I taught and I was an instructional specialist and then an autism specialist in a few local school districts. Um, and then uh, I got back with an old colleague of mine that we met first at that first clinic. And we just started meeting for happy hour and talking about like, so if we owned our own clinic, what would we do differently? How could we bridge the gap so parents could participate and teachers felt like it was accessible and caregivers like different OTs and PTs and speech therapists could actually get tools that they could use um, and really to make the best outcomes for our kids so they could generalize and outgrow us and not need ABA anymore. Um, so we met every week for probably about a year and just kind of mapped out this total pipe dream. Um, and that's what the Helm ABA was born out of. Um, so that was back in 2015. We started with just the two of us doing in-home um, behavior therapy. And we've grown to having, now we have two clinics. We're opening our third in February of 2020. Um, we see over uh, 60 kiddos currently um, across all different types of settings. And we have a staff of 40. And um, I support a lot of different like local school districts as well. So the last county did, um, we've been in 15 local school districts throughout Texas, um, just in any type of support. Uh, so we're busy, but super passionate and loved, loved doing that. I And I love that you're trying to think outside the box. Like how could we make kind of this what seems like a very structured thing, having this clinic, how can we make it different and better and include different clinicians and parents and schools? Like that's really, you know, what we need to be doing. It's so exciting. Yes. Yeah. I really challenge like all of my BCBAs to be thinking you're not here just for the kiddos because one, uh, one day this child will leave us and they will go somewhere else. And if we haven't taught uh, the different people that participate in that environment, the parents, the caregivers and things like that, tools that they feel like they can actually implement. Um, we really haven't done our job. And so how do we make it approachable? How do we make it um, that non-pretentious um, lingo that we like to use a lot of um, so that the most people can use this uh, science for good? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And this kind of ties us right into what we're talking about today. So because you've grown, you know, your company so so much and you have so many people that work with you, obviously staff training is a huge component of your job. And it's something that I talk a lot about because it's a huge part of a teacher's job. When you have paraprofessionals in your class, you can't just be like, hey, cool, you got this. See you in May. Bye. Like it's it's a hard, hard skill set 
that I'm sure you realize too. (laughs) Oh my gosh, absolutely. And you know, I was really terrible at it. Um, At the very beginning, I walked into my first classroom. My paraprofessional had been there for, I think, 12 years. And I had entered in the middle of the school year. And so she had been running it for the first part of the school year. And uh, man, I stepped on a lot of toes. I made so many mistakes, just not knowing what my role was and how do I kind of cast a vision for the classroom and get buy-in at the same time um, without just being a do this, do this, do this, because we know that that's not going to work for the staff in our in our um, classrooms. So yeah, yeah it's kind of come from just a bunch of mistakes at the same time. And you know, it's so interesting because it is such a big part of a teacher's job and there is literally zero training on it. Like I've yet to hear of like an undergrad special ed program that has a course in staff management. Like there isn't one. No, there's nothing. There's nothing at all. And you know, uh, we see this too with our BCBAs that come to the clinic because they come to our clinics and they have this vast knowledge of ABA. They're really good clinicians. And if they were just giving therapy all day long, and so just like teachers, if they were just teaching all day long, our kids would make great progress. But the problem being is we don't get to work one-on-one with our kiddos all day long. We have to coordinate a whole team to execute that. And so whether you're a BCBA or you're a teacher, we have to figure out some sort of way to get everybody rowing in the same direction. And um, that just, for me, there's nothing out there that I've found except for in the leadership field. Um, And so I've done a lot of research just in leadership and what does it mean to be a leader and how do you get everybody going in the same direction at the same time? Yes. Okay. So answer that. What does it mean to be a great leader? (laughs) That's like the million dollar question, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's different for everyone, but when I was kind of like thinking through Um, those core qualities of a leader, we have to have first a vision. We have to be able to see a greater vision for the classroom and what can be for this child. So um, it's not just, uh, I mean, our whole purpose of education is to prepare our kiddos to lead the most independent um, and successful lives possible. Um, So we have to begin with the end in mind. And as a leader, as a teacher, as a clinician, that comes with a vision. Um, And then it's not enough to just have that vision. We have to be able to communicate it and we have to communicate it to all the different key players. Um, But I think where my biggest downfall was, especially as a very um, vision oriented, eager clinician and teacher at the same time was um, I could communicate it, but I wasn't self-aware enough to understand that the way that I was communicating it wasn't coming across. It wasn't being heard and it wasn't being received. Um, So like that third part is just being self-aware. Are you self-aware of where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are and just kind of what makes you, you? So I know that I'm a very direct person and um, that's great if you're also a direct person. But if I've got a paraprofessional in my classroom or if I've got a behavior therapist that I'm working with um, that needs a little bit of a warm up. So it needs to have a little bit of a conversation about how was your weekend um, to feel valued and to feel seen and heard. Um, They're not going to hear my message of we're going to do error correction in this way if I haven't warmed them up a little bit. And so I need to be aware of the fact that I'm a very get to the point person, but this person's not. And in order for them to be ready to receive my information, 
um, I'm going to have to change my communication style a little bit. It's, it's almost like the same thing we do with our students. You know, we have to approach our team the same way. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I first start with any sort of BCBA who comes in, I say, you know, this is great. You used to be a really great clinician, but now you are uh, shaping adult behavior. And mm-hmm. you are only as good as you can do with your ability to shape adult behavior um, because you don't get to make the behavior change for your kiddos anymore. It's the people who have boots on the ground who are doing that day-to-day therapy or they're doing that day-to-day work. And so if you have a couple of paraprofessionals in your classroom, you're outnumbered. Um, And those are the people who are really making the big change. Um, So we have to communicate in the way that they can understand that. Um, And then I think the last part that I've just learned over the years is you have to have influence. And so in order to build influence over that team and we'd call it buy-in of any sort, but you have to be consistent. Mm-hmm. You have to have really courageous conversations with people. You have to be willing to really have that courage to say, hey, this is working or this isn't working, or I noticed when you did this, um, and not let things go on too long because we start to kind of just say, I mean, everything's good, everything's fine. And then it's that one Friday where we've had just that last tantrum and you just know that nobody's following the BIP anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've let it build up until a point that we start to get burnt out. So we have to have courageous conversations. And then we have to have empathy. We have to understand where our people are coming from. You know, that we are not, we are not robots. We're not always going to have our BIPs implemented in the same way. We're not always going to run programs the same way. Sometimes we're going to forget to collect data and that's okay. Um, so we have to have empathy as well whenever we're building that kind of that position of influence in our team. So have vision, um, communicate that vision, be aware that your communication style is not going to be for everyone, and that we really have to build rapport and build influence in our classrooms because you can have all those things, but if no one's buying what you're selling, then you're just a team of one. Yes. Oh my gosh. I like, you You should see, I'm over here like nodding like aggressively. Um, <laughs> so much yes. So the vision thing, I am on board with 100%. Last few school years, like at the start of the school year, mm-hmm. I've been talking about everyone making a team mission statement with yes. their paras, with their clinicians and like, hey, what what do we as a team want for our kids? What do we want for our staff? What do we want for our school? And just kind of getting everyone on the same board page of like, why are we here? Like, why are you not working at Starbucks? Because life would be easier if you worked at Starbucks. So like, you must love something about this. Yes. Um, so that that is such a, you know, a great point. And, and the other point that I wanted to, to focus on that you said is, is the courageous part, because it is hard to have those uncomfortable conversations of like, hey, you know, like that didn't work, or, you know, this isn't done correctly, or we have to change this. And and stepping up to someone who's maybe been in that classroom, like you said, 12 years, and you're brand new, or is maybe a harder person to deal with it, you have to be brave to do that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times my like, not so nice response to people is if you're going to avoid staff training, because you feel uncomfortable, you just got to get over it. And, you know, the getting over it is is being brave because mm-hmm. it is hard. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So hard. I, I think, though, that when we can kind of all align our mission and our vision together, we realize that we are a lot more similar than we are different. Um, and so if we can all align that we are here to increase independence, we're here to increase communication and decrease problem behavior, it gives us a why. 
Like, mm-hmm. why are we here? Um, why are we going to have that uncomfortable conversation? Because once we all say, okay, this is a big, hairy, audacious goal that we have for this child, but we all believe that it can be happen, uh, that it can actually happen. So I'm going to push through the uncomfortableness of that conversation because this child's goal is worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the change we know is is huge. And if we can get on the same page and push through all the adultness that we have to figure out um, in order to really change this kiddo's life, then like, let's do it. Let's, yeah. let's, um, let's have that hard conversation. What are some other obstacles you see BCBAs and teachers have when it comes to kind of accomplishing these things that, that you said, like kind of encompass a great leader? So one of the things that I think um, I'm super uh, guilty of, and I've, I've seen other BCBAs be, uh, and teachers be really guilty of it is um, that I, I call it, or my clinical director calls it, I'm Bob the Builder. So I fix everything. Um, and so I, instead of delegating and training, I want to do it all. I want to take in all the information. I want to fix it. If I see a problem, if my parent has a problem, if my therapist has a problem, it's my job to fix it instead of teaching and coaching problem solving skills, um, within my team, because I can't be everywhere at once. Um, and so that, I mean, teaching and coaching problem solving is so hard but I think it comes down to asking the right questions of your team, you know, and really closing your mouth and listening to understand what the problem is and realizing that sometimes when they bring a problem to you, they're not asking you to fix it. They're just asking to be heard. Um, and so we have to be able to empower our team to make um, decisions and we have to empower our team to really problem solve uh, situations without us totally taking away their power and saying, well, I'll just fix it all. I'll just yeah. keep doing this. I'll just do this. Or it's it takes too much time to have to train you to do it. So I might as well just put it back on my plate. Um, when I realize- I am so guilty of that too. Oh uh, my gosh, as you're talking so about So guilty, right? And so I think one of the good rule of thumbs is if I, I heard was like, if somebody can do something 80% as well as you can, you shouldn't be doing it. Um, and so if there's something that's going on in your classroom that you really feel like your team can do, um, it's worth training and it's worth delegating that information because you're, you're letting them have a piece of, uh, of that vision and, uh, and some ownership over the classroom. So for me, that's the big, one of the biggest obstacles that I have for sure. And yeah. And ta- when you talk about, you know, buy-in and influence, someone's going to have buy-in and influence when they're making decisions and they're playing a real role and they're not mm-hmm. just like the paraprofessional that takes kids to and from the bathroom and redoes task boxes. Like yeah. that is freaking boring and you're going to lose your mind doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, I always advocate giving paraprofessionals like a center or a station that's theirs. And, mm-hmm. you know, when they're, when they're running fluency instruction and they're like, oh, you know, Johnny isn't making progress on this. Cool. Well, what do you think we should do? This is your station, you know, oh like gosh. Yes. putting the onus on them. Yes, 100%. But, you know, I think the vulnerable thing in that is that they're going to make a mistake. Yeah. And so what do you do with that? Like, you have to have something in your mind already of the fact that it's okay that people are going to make mistakes. They're not going to do it the same way that you would do it. And that the fact that they are doing it in a different way is totally fine. Um, So we just have to be prepared to ask the right questions afterwards of, just like you said, so what do you think we should improve? Instead Mm -hmm. of just saying, well, you should have done it this way, 
it's just, so what do you think we can do? And how do we empower you to problem solve and work through that? Um, and be okay with the fact that your teams are going to make mistakes and that's okay. And that's part of, that's part of just being human. Um, we make mistakes all the time, but we hide them, you know? And so how do we celebrate the mistakes that we make in our classroom and really, um, encourage the problem solving that comes after it instead of just always getting it right. Yeah. And globalizing having a problem like or a mistake. Oh. Like we all make mistakes. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. A big a big obstacle I hear for staff training and I'm sure you do too and maybe more in the classroom is is the time. Like I don't have the time to train my staff and mm-hmm. when do I do this? You know, it's I I can't I don't have common planning time. Mm-hmm. Um when you work in schools, how do you um problem solve that? kind of hurdle with teachers? I think so. First, it comes to structure in your classroom, structure and schedules. Um, And so the more that you can identify what your role in the classroom really is. My role in my classroom as the most effective teacher possible is not necessarily teaching all the lessons. It's um, really setting up the classroom in a way that it can flow and that we can delegate in an appropriate way so everybody has something and some ownership in that classroom. So if that means that we have really explicit schedules with really great descriptions of what other people are supposed to be doing, so then it leaves you out of the rotation so you can actually stand up and walk around and support and coach. But I think that one of the big, I mean, even in the ABA field, for the longest time, people will say, well, we can't have team meetings. We can't meet as a, as a staff because we don't have the time. Everything has to be billable. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you can find the value or the importance in it, you make time within your Mm -hmm. schedule. So for our team, we meet on Monday mornings from eight to nine. Um, so that might mean that you meet 15 minutes early, but the value of communication on your team is so important that you have to find those standing and static appointments. It can't be that it, we meet only after a problem has happened, but if we can proactively have some sort of standing appointment or a static meeting, um, even if it's 15 minutes, even if it's that we're calling on the way uh, into work or something like that, um, but once you kind of put those into your schedule, you make time for them. But if you have something um, that like sometimes we meet and sometimes we don't, it literally never happens. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love it. And you know, that's such a good, you know, the way you said it too, is you don't have to teach all the lessons. Like you have to free up your time. And I always think about it as, you know, I talk about this a lot in my membership with the teachers in there is you're multiplying yourself. Like if your time spent with your staff is going to be, you feel like you're taking away from your kids, but you're actually giving them more minutes of instruction because you're, you're, you know, your, your, your paras are going to be able to do what you're doing when you spend time working with them. Yes, absolutely. And there's so much great research out there on uh, paraprofessional training and parent training and caregiver training out there just on, um, how really a degree is not necessary in order to actually facilitate and give really high quality therapy or teaching Instead, it's really more important that you have um, a really great facilitator um, in place. So like our BCBAs take the time to create the curriculum or they create the planning, but they're not the ones that are necessarily doing the therapy. And I really think that teachers need to be able to feel empowered to 
kind of take that facilitator role in the classroom. Mm -hmm. I facilitate the learning by setting up high quality stations, by having a really great schedule, by making sure that I consistently communicate with my paraprofessionals or the OTs or the speech therapists that come in. Um, It's not to say that you're not going to lead instruction at times, but just understanding that a teacher, especially in a, like a centralized classroom or a structured classroom, has a different type of role. Um, and that's okay. We don't have to kind of fit into what 99% of the rest of the school is doing. Uh, but yeah. man, that's a vulnerable step um, because most of the time you're the only person in the building. Yeah. Um, so you're like, wait, this looks totally different than what everyone else is doing. Oh my gosh. Yes. And then when your vice principal or your principal walks in and they're like, well, why aren't you teaching? You have to be able to explain, you know, that this is really important. We're working on independence. Am I going back to your mission and vision for your classroom? I'm teaching my kiddos to be as independent um, as possible. And so that's only going to happen if I can um, teach them to rotate through their through their um, their centers and get them to be able to work with a bunch of different adults and generalize their skill their skills. So um, the more clearly we can talk about that vision, the easier we're able to kind of communicate and understand what's my purpose in this classroom. That's a great point that you make about the vision, you know, relating to how you communicate with admin. Because I remember, you know, especially as a young teacher, I often was put in that position where I felt like I had to defend what I was doing or advocate myself to my principal and my administrators. And that felt awful. Like I wanted to die. I was like, oh my God, I shouldn't like be, I felt rude. I felt disrespectful, but I was, I wasn't being disrespectful, but I knew what I was doing was right. Mm -hmm. But I hated having to like say that to my boss. Mm -hmm. But if I had had maybe a team mission statement and a vision and had the why behind me, I would have felt better explaining what I was doing. Absolutely. And I mean, so we talk about being a leader in your classroom, but you are a leader in the school. You're building um, kind of this level of influence within the school of of how do we interact with children with special needs? How do we interact with children at all? How do we advocate for them within our four walls of the building, but then also within the district? And so um, the concept of, you know, I'm just a teacher in this classroom um, is really, I don't think, a valid statement. You are an advocate for all children with special needs. And so by educating and taking the time to really educate are, and speak with our administrators in a way that they can understand you and they understand the purpose of the classroom, you know, um, you're creating all these learning opportunities, not only for the kids currently in your classroom, but for anybody who interacts with that administrator in the future. Um, so yes, I, I, I think it's really hard and mm-hmm. it goes back to that courage statement, you know, it, it takes a lot of courage in order to stand out there. But when you understand that, you know, I'm an advocate for this kiddo and I'm going to do what's best. Um, but I also understand that being a leader means I have to communicate in a way that you understand me. Um, yeah. So we have to build influence within our schools at the same time. And man, that feels vulnerable, but it's worth it in the end um, because your why is your kids. Yes. Oh my gosh. I could like listen to you talk about leadership all day. I love this so much. Um, And it's so interesting to think about how it applies to so many different levels of our jobs too, whether with parents or administrators or paraprofessionals. Okay. So before we wrap up, can you review, because I want like everyone to write it down, the kind of that list you went through of your, of what makes a great leader? Because I think this is something people should like write on a post-it and put it on their desktop and remind themselves of their goals for the day. 
Yes. Okay. So first we have to have a vision. So a greater vision plan for the future. Um, the second is we can't just keep that vision to ourselves. We have to communicate it with other people. Um, we have to be able to communicate it in a way that they can hear it. So you need to be self-aware. What are my triggers? How do I normally communicate? What frustrates me? What's my normal um, style of working within my classroom? And be aware of the fact that other people are not going to be the same way. I mean, shocking. We, see, we teach theory <laughs> of mind all the time for our kiddos, but we forget that the paraprofessionals and the teachers we interact with, they have a whole different learning history. So we have to be willing to adapt how we communicate with people in order for them to receive that vision and that message. Um, and then last, we have to be a person of influence. So we have to be consistent. We have to do what we say we're going to do. We're going to have to be really courageous and have those conversations with people, even when they're really uncomfortable, because it's worth it for our kiddos. And then we have to have empathy. We have to understand that people are human and that the jobs that we all do are hard. And so some days we're going to be um, at 100% and other days we're not. Um, and so we have to be able to be empathetic with people um, and any kind of point in life that they're at. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. This has been so helpful. And I love the way that you frame this all. Um, where can people go to learn more about you and learn more from you? Okay. So if, um, if you're in the Dallas area and you want to learn more about just ABA in general, you can visit us online at www.thehelmaba.com or The Helm ABA on any social media platform. Um, and then we just recently started a project, me and my business partner, um, on just what does it take to run an ABA company? Um, so how to start, scale, and lead um, with ABA. And you can use that across almost any business. Um, and so that's called The Behavior Startup. And so you can visit us um, on any social media and that'll link us to your blog. So The Behavior Startup on Instagram or on Facebook. Great. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. Absolutely. Thank you for your time and um, have an amazing day. If you would have told me a few years ago that my favorite part of my job is getting up in front of sometimes a few hundred people and giving a presentation on data or behavior academics, I would have thought you were crazy. I did not always like public speaking. Actually, to be totally honest, public speaking was something I used to be pretty afraid of. But now it's literally my favorite part of my job. I love being in a room of my people, of the special ed world, teachers and parents and clinicians, and everyone that's on the front lines that's working so hard for our students to give them the best opportunities and the best classroom experience. I love being in a room of everyone that understands how hard this job can be, but also how amazing it is and how important those little victories are on a daily basis. When I do a PD, my goal is to bring value. I want to bring action items, ideas and strategies that you can do tomorrow in your classroom. I have sat through too many professional developments that either didn't apply to me or were too hypothetical and philosophical. And my special ed heart always wanted to know, what do I do next? What do I do tomorrow? If you are interested in learning more about how I can come to your school to do a professional development, please visit theautismhelper.com backslash speaking. There's a contact form as well as a lot of information about all of the different sessions I give. I'm happy to answer any questions and work with your school district.
Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.